pick out two of the greatest books of the Bible, especially two of the greatest letters we find in the New Testament. I'm sure without question, most believers would say they are Romans and Ephesians. Gary's teaching through Romans currently with our adult Sun Tzu class. And in Romans, uh, Paul gives God's plan for salvation, what many have called the Roman road, where uh, God explains how to be saved, through which believer, unbelievers can see their need for Christ, what he has done for them on the cross, how they can be justified by faith, and that they should live their lives for him as a result. Ephesians kind of takes a step back, and it looks at the whole scope of salvation from God's perspective. And it looks at the purpose of salvation as well. And a major part of that purpose of salvation, as we'll see, is the church. Now, God has marvelously brought so many people from so many different backgrounds together into what we know as the body of Christ. Ephesians shows us the glory and the beauty of salvation. And it shows us the rich and bountiful riches that we have in Christ. I want you to notice that just to, as we begin this morning. Look at chapter 1, verse 7. Talk about the riches of, of Christ. He says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. Then look over at chapter 3, and verse 8. It says, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, here it is, the unfathomable riches of Christ. And then if you look at uh, chapter 3, verse 16, part of Paul's prayer, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. I can think I can say without hesitation that a, a thorough study of Ephesians will enrich your life. It will make you a richer person as you understand and realize and experience more of these riches, these spiritual riches that we have in Christ. I want you to know this morning, those riches can be yours. God's not a miser. He's not holding those riches back. But He freely gives the fullness of the riches of Christ to His people and to those who seek Him. This morning we're going to get started in our study of Ephesians by looking at these two verses that we read together. These are normally called the salutation or the greeting. Uh, the salutation is an elaborate form of our dear Charlie or our dear Becky as we begin to write letters. I would imagine that most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, tend to skip over these two or three verses at the beginning of Paul's letters and the two or three verses at the end of Paul's letters. Because we think, you know, they're just personal notation. I want you to understand that those greetings, those salutations, many times kind of give us an idea of what's to come in the letter. And sometimes we find in those salutations some significant theological truth as well. This morning I want us to look at just these two verses and I want you to notice that Paul makes five statements 
five important statements in these two verses. And first, he states his authority. His authority to write this letter to this church. He identifies himself as Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, some liberal scholars have questioned whether or not Paul actually wrote this letter. But I don't have any interest in or time for that discussion. The Bible says Paul wrote it. Paul's name's on it. And I may be a simpleton, but that's just good enough for me. The authority that Paul had to write this letter to this church comes from how he identifies himself. This, here, this statement he makes about himself, that he was an apostle of Christ Jesus. This Greek word apostle means a sent one. It was an official title given uh, to designate those God sent out in the early days of Christianity to be the foundation for the church, to teach his truth, and to be the inspired authors by the Holy Spirit of the final portion of his revelation, which we now know as the New Testament. Jesus called, you know, 12 men to be his disciples or to be his apostles. The term disciple refers to them as learners, as Jesus discipled them. The term apostle refers to them as servants or messengers who carried on Christ's ministry after his death and resurrection. One of those twelve, Judas, of course, was eliminated by his betrayal of Jesus and by his suicide, his taking his own life. In Acts 1, right before the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, he was replaced by a man named Matthias. Now Paul was added later. Paul says of himself that he was added later to the apostleship. You know, he was known as Saul in the early days of the church. And he was the church's greatest enemy. Saul did all he could to persecute and to harass Christians. He was a devout Jew. And he hated anyone who believed in or professed the name of Jesus. His greatest desire was to stop the growth and the expansion of the church. But you know, God intervened in a marvelous way. And as the Saul was on his way to Damascus to persecute even more Christians there, the Lord Jesus Christ himself confronted Saul, he was marvelously converted and brought to faith in Jesus Christ. And now, instead of hating Jesus, he loved Jesus. Instead of wanting to stamp out and stop the church, he became the church's greatest missionary. And instead of trying to hinder the growth of the church, Paul preached and taught and encouraged the church to the best of his ability to assist it to grow. His name was changed to Paul. And in God's providence, he met all the qualifications to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And that's how he identifies himself here. And that's the authority that Paul had as he wrote this letter to this church. Well, the second, he states his credentials. You know, proper credentials are important. Because they qualify you to do certain things or to go certain places. Uh, back early last month when uh, Carol and I went to the 
uh, women's SEC basketball tournament, uh, we had a friend there who had some extra credentials to the VIP area. And she let us use them. Now those credentials enabled us to go to this big open area at the end of the court where we could get meals before the game. We could go there during the game and get all the snacks and drinks we wanted. We could even sit at a table there overlooking the court and watch the, watch the, um, the games with all the other dignitaries if we wanted to. But you had to have the proper credentials to get there. Our credentials were a little badge that we wore. As long as we had on that badge, we could go in there anytime we wanted. Paul's credentials was they had been called by God. Paul's credential to be an apostle was he was a one by the will of God. Notice what he says, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Paul was no self-appointed apostle. Far from it, as we've seen, when he was Saul, he hated Jesus. And he hated the church. And yet, even though he was an enemy of the church, he was dramatically converted, brought to faith. God called him to be an apostle. Why did that happen? Why, why did he become an apostle? It's because that was God's will for Paul. It was God's will that he be used in that way. Now, when he was Saul, he had no idea, did he? No idea that he would be called to this. When he was persecuting Christians, he had no idea that one day God would call him. It was God's will. Now, God's will for him to serve the church in this way. And that was Paul's greatest credential. His greatest qualification. God's will that he be this and do that. It's the greatest credential for anyone who does ministry. I shared with you before that there was a time when standing behind this pulpit or standing behind any pulpit was the last thing I wanted to do. I avoided this all caught. I believe God was calling me to some form of full-time Christian service. But to be honest with you, I didn't want to be a pastoral. I didn't want to have a preaching ministry. And if someone asked me, why are you doing that today? I would say, it's simply because I believe this is God's will. Because God has called me to do it. And look where I am. Look where I've been for the last 36 years. And believe it or not, there are people all over the state of Mississippi and all over the country and in some parts of the world who've been impacted by it. Amazing. Paul's greatest credential was it was will of God's will for him to be impossible and to serve the church in that way. It's the greatest qualification for any sister the church because it's God's will for them to do it. And there's a third statement. 
But I want you, before I move on to the third statement, I want you to hang on to that. I want you to hang on to the whole idea of, of Paul saying, I'm an apostle by the will of God. This whole idea of, of God's will is going to undergird everything we see in faith. Beginning next week when we begin to look at verse 3 and our salvation. You know, we can say, well, what's Paul's credential for being an apostle? It's the will of God. And we can ask the same question later. What, what's, the will, what's the credential for you being it's the will of God. So I want you to hang on to that as we go through it. And third, there's a third statement. That is, he states the destination of this letter, or he identifies those to whom this letter was written. And notice, he says, verse 1, is written to the saints who are at Ephesus. Now, some people have a little problem with believers being called saints. I was in churches that recited the Apostles' Creed every Lord's Day, uh, the little phrase, I believe, in the communion of the saints, gave some people some problem. After all, Catholic Church does have this long list of saints that have been named to sainthood by the church. Let's know what Paul is referring to. Of course, we, we talk about saints in heaven. We look forward one day, we say sometimes, to, to being with, in heaven with the saints. That, that's not what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about the saints in heaven. He's talking about the saints in heaven. What you need to understand is when Paul uses the word saints here, he's using it as a synonym for believers. He's just writing to the believers who are in Ephesus. A saint is someone who's been laid hold of by Christ, who's been called by the Holy Spirit into a relationship with Christ, who's been set apart by grace to live for Christ. A saint is one who has been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You know, a, a saint, by definition, is the holy one. But, but in the biblical understanding, we've just been, we've, we've been set apart to be holy unto God through Christ. And the only holiness, righteousness we have is the holiness and righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. And, and so Paul is simply saying here that he is He's writing to the believers in Ephesus. Paul went to Ephesus on his second missionary journey and his third missionary journey. There's no stranger to Paul. In fact, he spent two years in Ephesus on his third missionary journey. One of the most moving passages to me in the book of Acts is Acts 20, where Paul is talking to the elders of the Ephesian church and giving them some final admonitions. He knows he'll never see them again. And so Paul knew these believers quite well. Ephesus was an important city. Uh, it was a, a, a chief communication and commercial center that uh, tied together Rome uh, to the west and other markets on the east. It was kind of a melting pot of nations, kind of a cosmopolitan city. It was an important strategic place for a church to be planted. And that's why Paul invested so much of his time and resources there. But it was thought, it was thought this is what we could know as a circular letter. It wasn't just intended for 
the, the church at Ephesus, but was to be passed around to other churches in the region as well. That's one reason we believe there are so few personal references in the book of Ephesians. Uh, it was to go to other places as well. It's one of Paul's prison letters. He wrote this letter while he was uh, in prison in Rome. Another prison letter is Colossians. And it's interesting how closely related those two letters are, those two books of the Bible are. In fact, there are about 55 verses in, in Colossians and Ephesians that are essentially the same. Fourth, he states a, a commendation. And that is, he commends these believers in Ephesus. Notice he says, in verse 1, that they are faithful in Christ Jesus. These are faithful saints. They are faithful believers. I I taught on the faithfulness of God last uh, Sunday and when Carrie was out and uh, to the adult Sunday school class and we, we, we talked about kind of we started what is faithful? We talked about how it's dependable, trustworthy, someone who tells the truth. That's what Paul calls these believers in Ephesus. They are faithful Christians. They are dependable. They were Christians he could count on and that he could depend on through good times and bad, through times of blessing as well as times of trial and seasons of prosperity and periods of struggle. And they had had it all. These believers in Ephesus had held firm to their faith and maintained their zeal for the Lord. But I want you to notice too what the text says. It doesn't just say they're faithful. But it says they are faithful in Christ Jesus. And I told you a minute ago, I want you to hang on to that phrase about the will of God. I want you to hang on to this phrase about in Christ Jesus. This is a very, very important concept to Paul. That as believers we are in Christ. It's a very, very important part of his message to the Ephesians. In fact, he uses the phrase in Christ or its equivalent in him 11 times just in verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1. Paul uses the phrase in Christ or its equivalent of in him 164 times in his letters. We are by grace through faith in Christ. We are in him. That's what makes us believers and identifies us as Christians. And the more you understand about what it means to be in Christ, the richer your life will be, and the greater blessing you'll derive from it. Though there's one final statement. We finally get to the greeting in verse 2. He states a greeting, which is essentially a blessing to these believers. Verse 2 says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace is Paul's desire, Paul's prayer, and Paul's blessing. Grace to you and peace. Grace and peace. Hang on to those two. What a marvelous combination of spiritual blessing. You know, grace is the unmerited favor of God. 
Paul's going to have a lot more to say about grace in Roman, or chapter 2, isn't he? When he says, for by grace you've been saved. Grace is God giving to us what we do not deserve instead of what we do deserve. Grace is God forgiving us of our sins instead of punishing us for our sins. Grace is God adopting us into his family. When at one time we were the children of our father, the devil. Grace is God calling us his friend. But at one time we were his enemy. For the believer, there is no greater sound or word than God. That's one reason the hymn is so sweet, is amazing grace. What does that Grace is amazing. And the more you realize how amazing it is, the weaker it will be. You know why grace isn't so sweet to some people? It's because they haven't understood just how amazing it really is. Terry was talking this morning in the Sunday school class about how I think he said R.C. Sproul said that there are 80% of professing believers who think they have something to do with their salvation, that they're saved in part by works. Is that what you said? I wonder if grace didn't so when you realize that you have been saved all of grace there's nothing you could do, no work you could perform, no price you could pay. All of grace. Amazing. Along with that, he wishes for them peace, grace to you, and peace. He says, grace and peace go together because you really can't have one without the other. Genuine peace. Peace with God, peace with each other. From experiencing the grace. We might say that grace is the fountain and peace is the stream that blows from it. Or, or grace is the tree and peace is one of the fruits that you find. Peace. In other words, rich spiritual blessings that come from Christ. One of the unfathomable riches of Christ is the peace that he gives to us. In Philippians 4, Paul calls it a peace that is beyond comprehension. We can't understand it. We just experience it. We We can't really describe it. We just have it. God's peace. It comes to us as a result of His grace. And it comes to us, notice, in the verse 2, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To divide the spiritual black. Well, where does that leave us this morning? What do these two short verses in this letter give us? Well, I hope 
they give you a greater desire to experience all the riches that are yours in Christ. And all the rich spiritual blessings that Paul mentions here, a, a desire to know God's will for your life, a, a desire to be a more faithful Christian, a desire to understand more fully what it is to be in Christ, and a desire to, to, to realize more fully the wonder of His amazing grace, how sweet it is, and peace that comes from it. And I hope that in just a little bit, in just a little way, in a small way, these two verses are kind of whetted your appetite. You plunge into the depths of the riches that Paul is going to give us in this great book. These riches in Christ in the yours. You can have the full measure riches that Jesus provides for his people. Would you join me pray? God would do that for us. We go through this rich book. God would provide a greater measure of all the riches that are Father, thank you so much for your work. We thank you for the riches of salvation. We thank you for you calling Saul to salvation, converting him, and calling him by your will to be an apostle. We thank you, Father. We have his ministry even still now available to us in writing that you inspired him to do. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be faithful Christians. You understand the wonder of your amazing grace and experience the fullness of the peace that comes from Jesus Christ. I pray your blessing upon this stuff. I pray that we will be excited about it, do it, anticipate it, and when we get through it, we might be different people as we experience and taste more of the fullness of the riches that are ours. We'll make our prayer in his name. Amen. We're going to